Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented path to recovery from addictions. For more information, please visit us at refugerecovery.org. The second foundation of mindfulness, which is the practice of bringing our present time, non-judgmental, kind awareness to not just what's happening, but to our perception of how it feels. And you know what's happening and how it feels is big because it applies to everything. Every thing that the body experiences, every sensation is perceived instantly as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral the nervous system, the mind, the brain, just immediately labels, I perceive this sensation as pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. And of course it's happening beyond our conscious awareness most of the time because it's happening instantly. This applies not only to the sensations in our body but to all uh, emotional and mental activity. Every thought that arises is perceived as pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. Every uh, emotion, every um, heart experience is perceived as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Every thought that arises in our mind, every uh, sense door activity, every, even right now, just sitting here hearing these words, there's some ability to be mindful of, oh, this sounds pleasant, or maybe even the tone of my voice perceived as unpleasant or perhaps neutral. Every sight, every smell, every taste, everything (laughs) uh, is perceived. And perception is really important here because two of us could be looking at the same thing, but we'd have a different perception of whether I thought it was pleasant and you thought it was pleasant. You know, we could put on some music right now with, with uh, you know, almost hundred people in the room now, and there'd be a lot of different perceptions of that sound, <laughs> depending on what kind of music it is. And so your relationship to sound is yours, is mine. It's not like, you know, and there's this terrible tendency that many of us get into to say things like, that's ugly. That sounds terrible. That as though our perception is the ultimate truth. Part of what Buddhism is trying to teach us is to take full responsibility for what's happening inside us, to become aware, to become awake to what's happening what's happening and how it feels. What is our perception of this is perceived as pleasant, this is perceived as unpleasant. Much of our experience is likely perceived as neutral. And again, without mindfulness, this is mostly happening beneath the radar. We're not even awake. We're not even aware to uh, the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Except for when it's really intense. If you're in a lot of pain, you know it. This is unpleasant. (laughs) I'm in a lot of pain. You're awake to it. Uh, 
or if something really incredibly pleasant is happening, like, you know, uh, then, then you're awake to it. Oh, this feels great. This is delicious. This is, this feels great. Then, then we know it. But the subtle images that are coming in and sounds that are being experienced and sensations all throughout the body all day, every day, we're not usually so aware of the feeling tone that's happening. So the Buddha's second foundation of mindfulness is encouraging us, is leading us to take on the mind, the body, the heart, our human condition in this process of investigating what is my perception of the feeling tone that's happening in this moment? We start with the mindfulness of the breath and body, and then we open to what's pleasant, what's unpleasant, what's neutral. Now, most of you have been coming to refuge and doing these meditations and reading the book, and you're, you're quite aware of this. This is so important. It's, you know, the, this is part of the Buddha's teaching for anybody that wants to end suffering. We have to end our habitual, reactive aversion to pain. Because almost instantly, what happens to human beings and animals as well, the, the survival instinct is it's painful. I want to get rid of it. I, I, I hate it. I, it's dangerous. It's, and we push it away, aversion. Or our habitual reactive clinging. It's pleasant. I want to keep it. I, want, I crave for more of the pleasant, less of the unpleasant. And so for us in our recovery as uh, addicts in recovery who've spent much of our life chasing intoxication, pleasure, uh, avoiding, trying to avoid pain and create pleasure. This practice is what we need to learn to develop a healthy relationship to pleasure and a wise relationship to pain. Because pleasure and pain, obviously, are inevitable and unavoidable. Our happiness, as the equanimity teachings show us and teach us, our happiness is not dependent on what's happening, whether it's pleasant. It depends on our relationship to what's happening. Our happiness or unhappiness isn't about there's discomfort or pain. It's do we have enough tolerance, mercy, and compassion to be with the pain that's inevitable and unavoidable in a human incarnation. And so core relapse prevention, recovery tool, mindfulness of the feeling tones, bringing our awareness to this level of pleasant, craving, aversion, or painful aversion, and the investigation of what is your relationship to neutral, We'll talk more about that. We'll do the meditation and I'll share some of my experience with waking up to my relationship to neutrality, which it didn't feel like in, in, in active addiction, uh, didn't feel like there was much neutrality. It was either painful or it was pleasant. <laughs> uh, but in recovery, it feels like, ooh, actually there's quite a bit of subtle neutral experience to be experienced.
So let's meditate together and then we'll have some more discussion. Find a way to sit that's upright, relaxed. Make any adjustments necessary to posture. And when you're ready, allow your eyes to be closed. Establish a intention to be friendly, to be kind and patient towards your own mind, heart, body. And then begin by focusing the attention on the sensations that the breath is making as it enters and exits our nostrils. First foundation of mindfulness, present time awareness of sensations in the body, focusing on the breath. Of course, the attention doesn't stay with the breath. It wanders back into thinking or sounds lead to thoughts. Just keep returning to your breath. The thinking mind continues in the background. Sounds, smells, tastes, images. Continue, we can direct our focused attention to the breath. Come back over and over, making the breath the foreground of our experience.
can begin to add the investigation of the feeling tone, second foundation, to the breath itself. As you breathe in, how does the breath feel? Is it pleasant or neutral? Perhaps unpleasant? What's your perception of the sensations of your breath as you breathe out? using your mind to reflect, investigate, inquire. Is this pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? And perhaps naming it neutral, pleasant, as you breathe in and out.
Now bring your attention to the top of your head, the crown of your skull. See if you can feel any sensations there. Mindfulness of the crown. Perhaps even visualizing your hair, your scalp, your skull. And then slowly, slowly dropping the attention down to the forehead, scanning slowly through the head and face, scanning your mindful attention for sensation with this investigation of Pleasant, are there any pleasant sensations in the head, the face? Is there any unpleasantness, any tightness around the eyes or jaw? Or are the sensations predominantly neutral in the head and face? See how it changes. You can be at one eyebrow and it's neutral. And as you move the attention to the next eyebrow, there's a little bit of pleasure or perhaps something uncomfortable. And as you move down to the nose, lips, tongue, teeth, jaw, When you do encounter something perceived as unpleasant, when you scan through it, where does it begin? Where does it end, become neutral again? We allow our attention to descend through the neck into the shoulders and trunk of the body. What's unpleasant? What's pleasant? What feels neutral in the trunk of the body? The breast, the stomach, vertebrae, the back. Scanning down the shoulders into the arms, biceps and elbows, forearms. And the sensations created by the contact where your hands are resting on your knees or in your lap. 
It's the feeling tone of that contact with your hands, your legs. And all the way through the pelvis, genitals, buttocks, anus. What sensations are present in your body? Contact with the chair or the cushion. If there's any discomfort, where does it begin? Where's the middle? Or the edges of that discomfort, unpleasant. Out into the thighs and legs, knees. Bringing the tension all the way down into the calves, shins, and feet. Mindfulness of the body as we scan through for pleasure and pain and neutrality. How subtle some of these sensations are. We're training our mind to be present with, investigate, and to know what we're feeling in the body. Now expand beyond the physical sensations to investigate your sense doors, the sounds, both internal, maybe you're hearing in your own ears, in your own body, sounds in your room, in your space that you're in, and sounds coming through the computer my voice, the sounds in my space. With this inquiry, are these sounds perceived as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral?
shifting the attention to seeing with the eyes closed. What images are present, shapes, colors, light, dark? Is it neutral to have the eyes closed or is there some subtle feelings of this is pleasant or perhaps unpleasant, some anxiousness around it? Shifting the inquiry to smell and taste. What is your nose and mouth like right now? Is there any pleasant aromas or unpleasant tastes in the mouth? Or is it somewhat neutral in this moment? And then we can open to the emotional and mental activity. Third foundation of mindfulness. With the second foundation, what am I feeling? What emotions are present right now? Grief or sorrow? Joy? Contentment, ease? How's your heart? Is it in a pleasant state, unpleasant state? Without judgment, we're just looking for what's true about this moment. And how's your mind? What kind of mood is present? And an attitude is the mind holding right now? Kind of thoughts are coming through, plans and memories. Are they pleasant ones or unpleasant ones?
for the last couple of minutes, just returning to the breath, the body, the heart, the mind, the present time experience. this meditation on the second foundation of mindfulness, what's pleasant, and what's our relationship to pleasure, how much attachment, craving, and clinging is our relationship to pain, how much intolerance, aversion, perhaps even hatred we bring to our own pain. What's your relationship to neutrality? All of these places in the body that you can feel but they're neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And when you're ready, you can allow your eyes to be open, bringing your attention back to the space you're in. And even as you open your eyes, that investigation, what is seeing these instant perceptions? As you look around your space and you, the computer appears and the people in the Zoom room, my big face, <laughs> each other's faces, and that perception of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And, you know, you could even, you know, like, uh, it's an interesting practice um, on Zoom, I think, the second foundation of mindfulness without, without the judgments, just uh, like when you're on um, group view, when it's on gallery, and you're, um, you can kind of just scan and you look at the different people and you can see like, oh, I, I know some of these people and it's pleasant to see them. And, you know, there's just this like pleasant. And then there's all these people, I don't know them. So they're kind of neutral. Um, and then maybe there's somebody in the room where you're like, ooh, unpleasant. I don't, oh, you know, I just have a judgment. I have a fear. I don't know, you know, what it is. There's just something about, you know, and, you know, tattooed, bald white guys that are just unpleasant to look at, you know, <laughs> like whatever it is. And, you know, you just watch your mind and that perception of pleasant, unpleasant neutral, then it's not even judgment, right? This is where mindfulness is different, uh, non-judgmental. Well, I mean, of course we have our judgments, right? We have our judgments, of course, our, our, our um, conditioned uh, judgments. But what mindfulness is showing us is that there's all of this instant, unintentional categorizing of experience. It's not a judgment, it's discernment. It's perception. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Um, 
I'm sure you have a lot of awareness of what your relationship to pleasure is like. You know how much you like pleasure. Now, in general, people love pleasure. There are some people who um, have some aversion to pleasure, right? That uh, experience something that even though the sensations or the maybe pleasant, that there's something um, anxiety producing around it or some, some kind of aversion to it. In general, people hate pain. But of course, some of us have a perception of certain types of pain um, that we perceive it actually as pleasant. I always like to talk about, uh, you know, what's your relationship to spicy food? Um, or, you know, I think spicy food is one of the best examples here where jalapenos or habaneros or ghost peppers or, you know, some sort of chili peppers. Now, technically, chili peppers um, are producing pain in our mouths. But many people perceive that painful, intense sensation of the hot sauce as pleasant. So it's one of the common examples that many of us can relate to where we think, oh, well, it's painful, but I like it. And so it's not, I don't hate all forms of pain, especially when I've, you know, uh, chosen to eat in that, that spicy food and it's painful, but it's actually, my perception of it is, is pleasant. I asked at the end of the meditation, what is your relationship to neutrality? And just even as we scan through the body and we look for, oh, wow, there's all this sensation on my sides and on my legs where I can feel it, but it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant. It's just sensation. I just feel like, oh, that's my rib cage and that's my <laughs> thighs and that's my armpit. And it doesn't feel unpleasant. It also doesn't feel very pleasant, but it's just sensation. And so this is what is meant by neutral sensation. Things that we experience, but neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Maybe a lot of what happens in our mind is that sort of chatter that happens a lot. It's neither pleasant nor unpleasant. A lot of things we see, you know, especially when you're conditioned to your own environment and you see the same shit on the wall every day, yeah, it kind of, it becomes neutral. But maybe in the beginning when you got that piece of art, you're like, it was so pleasant to look at for a while. And my relationship, ooh, I was so pleasant to look at. And someone else comes in the house and they're like, oh, that's an amazing painting or I love that poster or whatever it is. And this is really key to seeing how what was once pleasant, like we have this, uh, neuroscience calls it a hedonic treadmill, that when we experience something pleasant, it doesn't last, right? This is the Buddha's teaching of impermanence and why craving is repetitive. Because you can, you know, what was once pleasant, it won't satisfy us for long. It's too impermanent. You look at that picture enough, you're going to lose that, ah, you know, interest in it. You have that same sensation enough and it loses. And that 
the treadmill is that repetitive cycle of going around and around looking for the next pleasant experience, something new, something more intense, something spicier. <laughs> we go from the jalapenos to the habaneros and pretty soon you're snorting uh, ghost peppers. <laughs> and um, So I wanna open it up for dialogue questions, make sure that this makes sense, that what we're talking about here is so key to our recovery because everything all the time is being perceived as pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And part of this and part of why meditation is so important in our recovery is because if we can't learn to be uncomfortable and, and develop a wise relationship to our pain and our the unpleasantness in life, it's gonna be so hard to stay in recovery, to stay sober. It's gonna be so hard. Um, Meditation teaches us, even just the sitting here with the achy knees and the sore back and the loud mind teaches us to increase our tolerance and our uh, relationship of mercy and compassion towards our own pain. The more we sit here and we see the impermanence that everything that happens arises and it, it passes, nothing lasts all that long. And we start to practice more non-attachment towards the pleasant. We say like, okay, pleasure is wonderful when it's appropriate and a kind of healthy kind of pleasure, but it's going to pass. It's not worth clinging to. Once we get attached, we suffer. And so this is really showing us where we create suffering in our clinging to pleasure and our aversion to pain and giving us the tools to start to learn to meet our pain with compassion, our pleasure with non-attached appreciation and this is the kind of joy and contentment that uh, we can access in recovery. So I'll leave it there. I need to leave, end a little early tonight. So I'm gonna leave the teaching part there, but let's have some Q&A. If you have a question down in the reactions or under the participants, you can raise your hand and I'll call on you and we can dialogue a little bit about this. It makes right. perfect sense. Okay, do we, do we have a question? Yeah, go ahead. I, Joseph. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Joe. Uh, it's very nice to see you here. Um, well, I, I've been uh, kind of getting back into meditation practice after being out of it for a while and uh, had a pretty bad relapse uh, recently. I uh, just came out of a rehab and, um, well, in the past, you know, I, I looked at meditation, uh, I consider myself a pretty spiritual person and I looked at meditation, uh, surely as, you know, a spiritual thing. And, uh, but, uh, as I was in this rehab more recently, they did one of these little diagram things that I've seen a hundred times of uh you know this is your brain on drugs kind of thing and uh but it was interesting how they broke it down um with you know basically you have the, the back of the mind which is the emotional center or you know your 
oldest uh, memories for survival purposes. And then the forefront, the front of the mind, the frontal lobe is like where my, you know, values and uh, morals are and everything like that. Um, you know, and just the fact that the, the survival part, you know, operates about 20 times faster. I've seen these little diagrams like a bunch of times been in and out of rehabs more than I'd like to admit. Um, but it really stood out to me doing being that like in the, in my stay there, I was there for 35 days and I really made a big focus of it. Uh, the refuge program and, um, and also just my own personal meditation practice doing a uh, Vipassana type meditation. And, um, I'm, I'm finding, you know, more of it, like, like I, you said something about, you know, psychology before, and I'm finding it, my meditation practice right now, uh, I mean, I have my spiritual beliefs and spiritual practice as well, and I find it important, but um, I'm finding that in my meditation, I'm looking at it more like a psych psychological surgery if you will, like, you know, um, more of a training of the you know, monkey mind, you know, um, and, and that visualization of just knowing like, okay, this is my amygdala fucking with me right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and being mindful that right now I might feel like I'm thinking clearly, but that, part of my brain doesn't think it feels and it and it acts um or it reacts rather and the thought center is kind of just shut off um it doesn't make me any less likely to relapse unfortunately that knowledge but it does it, it gives me hope um and a little more clarity in my meditations recently like you know, when I catch myself in a moment of anxiety and I'm able to externalize that feeling and that thought as this is not me, this is something that's happening inside of me. Um, just would like to know your thoughts on that as far as, you know, meditation being uh, more scientific versus more spiritual um i i find myself like where it's it's a beautiful mixture of the two um but what would your thoughts be on all that um well you know at one point somebody asked the buddha how does this work how does this meditation uh stuff work and he um he used the example he held up a um a soft stone and he said, as, as though you're dripping water at the same place on this soft stone over and over. So when you're bringing mindfulness back to the body, back to the breath, when you're bringing mindfulness and investigating the feeling tone, it's like you're dropping uh, water on the stone. He said, and eventually it leaves a dent and eventually it creates a pathway. And you know, like this is ancient neuroscience. Yeah. <laughs> like the Buddha understood neuroplasticity and that what we were doing, and he talked about it all the time, training the mind. You know, you use the, um, uh, uh, monkey mind. the monkey mind, right? And he said, we have to train this monkey mind. We have to, through repetition, we keep coming back to the body. We keep coming back to the breath. We keep investigating pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. We keep reflecting on the impermanent, the impersonal, the you know unsatisfactory. 
And we train the mind, the untrained mind is reactive. And that's what like in this mindfulness, you just watch how quickly your uh, amygdala, you know, that fight flight part of the mind just is like, wait, that's pleasant. I want it. <laughs> that's unpleasant. I want to kill it. <laughs> I got to get rid of it. And so you just wake up to how, you, how the mind works. The long-term effects of mindfulness and vipassana, that's the same thing, present yes. awareness um, changes how the mind functions. Now it doesn't get rid of the amygdala. Long-term meditation doesn't get rid of desires and aversions, but it gives us an awareness and a pause and an ability to be like, to have the discernment of like, oh, that's a really unwise thought. I'm not going to chase that one. That, you know, when the mind says you should really, you know, you should use, you should, and you are able to just be like, oh, that's just an impermanent, impersonal, unpleasant thought arising in my mind. And I'm gonna to relate to it rather than obey it. So this is the long-term benefits of, of this kind of meditation. And so it is more practical humanist psychology than spiritual. I like to use the term spiritual. I've written these books about the spiritual revolutionaries and all of that stuff, but there's not really anything spiritual about it. It's emotional intelligence. It's, it's, um, it's wisdom in the kind of wise response to the human condition. Um, but that we're not talking about spirit. We're not talking about soul. We're not talking about mystical anything. We're talking mm -hmm. about the human ability to wake up, see clearly our own minds and the world and learn to respond appropriately. So much more humanist psychology than some sort of spiritual externalizing or mystical anything. Yeah, thank you. Welcome Joseph and welcome to Refuge and I hope you find a lot of community here to support you, get a mentor, do the inventories, come to lots of meetings, you know the deal and uh, stay close to community, be of service, and that's how this thing works. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of searching for a mentor, but uh, I'm, I'm working the program the best I can in the meantime. Awesome. Where are you? I'm on Long Island, New York. Good. There, I think that there are some uh, in-person meetings will be starting in Long I know Long Island's a big place, but hopefully it'll be close to you, and there are definitely some uh, online meetings that are happening out there too, so... Yeah, I, a few years ago, I was going to some in uh, Long Beach, uh, which is not far from me, uh, but uh, not sure. I haven't gotten back in touch with those guys. I haven't tried, honestly. I've been home a few weeks and I've been doing the online thing for now, but I think it's time for me to get some in-person stuff going on. My sense is that in most places, there's just the in-person meetings are just starting to come back. So uh, I'm not sure I'm if excited. in Long Beach or not yet, but they will soon, I think. Thanks a lot. And by the way, I, I read uh, Dharma Punks while I was away. I was locked away and one of the counselors had had your book on his shelf. And I was like, oh, shit. And I read it. And uh, awesome. I related with you a lot on that. Thanks, Joseph. Appreciate it. Hope to hope, hope our paths cross at one point. Me too. Um. I got time for one more question, comment, reflection. And I'm gonna end it around six my time. David, jump in. Hi, um, 
I'm all the way in the Philippines right now, so I'm very far away from you, you guys. Um, and I've been struggling with recovery. I sort of a serial relapser and so on. But what I want to ask about the questions in terms of the things you're talking about, aversion is, you know, what about what do you do about things that when you've got built up aversion? You know, you've got things like the certain things about uh, my my work, for example, that I just can't stand you know it's things that i have to do it's part of my job but i can't stand it but when it comes along you know it, i i start getting really depressed and stuff and i it's, i find it really difficult to kind of you know to function and that's just where i like i start reaching out for you know alcohol and stuff you know and uh, i'm wondering how to kind of how do you uh, wear away at that stone, you know, where there's this a, a complete aversion to something that's been built up over a long period of time. Sure. Um, so a couple, a couple of thoughts here, and thank you, David, and thanks for you know joining us from the Philippines. And um, glad to be here. Yeah. Welcome. I don't know how much meditation or how long you've been meditating, but. Uh, my experience is, is that the more I learn to sit still and be uncomfortable and tolerate the kind of internal discomfort, that there's a way in which the meditative discipline of being with our pain, and even though we have some aversion to it, but just increasing the tolerance and moving towards friendliness and compassion, that that started in my life to externalize of, oh, the better I got at tolerating myself, my own shit, <laughs> the more tolerant I was towards others. And the more, you know, those kind of difficulties that in work or school or family or relationships, from the inside out, the more tolerance, the more, and this, so this meditation turning towards our, our pain and learning to tolerate it, um, will help for sure in the long run. And then there's this, some things, some things are just annoying, right? Some things are just unpleasant. And if you're in a career where there's certain parts of your job that are just unpleasant, there's some level of acceptance rather than, ooh, maybe sometime I'll get so spiritual that this won't be unpleasant anymore. Um, it will still be unpleasant. <laughs> You'll just have more, tolerance for it you'll just have more acceptance of like okay here comes this difficult part of the job here comes this but rather than meeting it with resentment and fear and judgment and i want to drink about this unpleasantness we will get to the place where we're like okay unpleasantness and i'm going to show up and i'm going to stay sober and i'm going to tolerate it the best that i can i'm going to use my mindfulness i'm going to name it unpleasant I'm going to name the, my relationship to it right now as aversion. And I'm going to try to, uh, you know, sometimes even though it's like a, maybe it's a person or it's an activity or something, bringing the forgiveness practice to it rather than I fucking hate this part of it. I forgive you as much as I can, even towards the activity, right? I, I forgive you towards having to do this part of the job and training the mind, as I was saying to, um, the other gentleman, we train the mind to not only be present, but then also to respond wisely with compassion, with forgiveness. So first we just learn to sit and learn to be uncomfortable and that'll help. And then we learn to have 
some compassion and some forgiveness with for the all the you know there's so many unpleasantnesses uh in our lives and when we've been running to the drink the drugs the behaviors to avoid them so easy to get stuck in that cycle of that kind of false sense of control of like, I don't like how this feels. I'm going to drink it away. I'm going to snort it, shoot it, fuck it, spend it, you know, eat it away. And then we learn to be like, okay, I'm just going to learn to be with it. And the reality is it's impermanent. So I, I don't need to drink it away. It will arise. It will pass. So I don't need to act out. It will just, it'll come, it'll go. And that we, have much more capacity for tolerance than the mind believes, than that, you know, fight or flight uh, part of our brain will tell us every time, like, this is going to kill you. You can't do this. It won't kill you. It's okay to just be uncomfortable. Yeah, I think, I think it's kind of, um, it's about a buildup of a version where, it links to depression as well, you know, and it's if anybody suffers from depression, I'm sure some do. It's when you when you sink into that zone of sort of blackness, it's it's just I've described it sometimes. It's like when you're when you're not there, you're you, you can look at it and go, hey, I wonder what it was like to have been that depressed. But when you are there, you think I can't I can't see any way to get out of this at all. You know, and um, it's just, I think, um, it's, I look at these, these aversions kind of like I find propel me into that. I'm looking for ways to kind of like perhaps, yeah, make the unpleasant pleasant. Or maybe it's just, maybe that's unreasonable. Yeah. I think it probably is unreasonable, but so, so reframing it of like, it's not going to become pleasant, but I want to learn to tolerate it. Mm. I want to mm. learn to. You know, when the Buddha says, you know, we can get enlightened, we can have these awakenings. It's not that life is going to be pleasant all of the time. It's that we're going to be able to deal skillfully with all of the unpleasantness that life will continue to throw our way. Um, I, I always, you know, having studied the Buddha's life quite a bit, he, you know, his community was full of uh, conflict. Um, there was wars happening. His family was murdered by his in-laws. Uh, he himself was attacked over and over by his cousin and injured and, you know, walking around. And he's like, you know, this is, there's a lot of unpleasantness happening. <laughs> this is difficult. He said, but I have learned to meet it all with compassion uh, and I, have, I can tolerate all of it. I don't suffer at all of these painful experiences, but I still experience all of these painful experiences. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome. I'm going to leave it there for tonight. Um, that's my last words. My last words are get involved, do service, start meetings. If there's not meetings in your area, if the in-person meetings aren't happening, get them going, get the in-person meetings going, uh, you know, do the inventories, mentor each other, um, you know, you don't got to look for the perfect, you know, enlightened mentor, just find someone work together with, you know, if you're both working on your inventories, that's great support each other in that process. Um, and if you can join us at the refuge conference, I think there's a handful of uh, 
uh, registrations left. We're having the conference next weekend, uh, June 11th, 12th, 13th in Malibu. About 150 people from refuge from all over the country are going to be together outdoors, socially distanced, um, where we're going to have meetings and we're going to have discussions and we're going to connect around this path that we're all on together. So um, next month, I'll be doing the first Thursday on the third foundation where we'll continue the topic of mindfulness and we'll talk about the mind, both the process of the mind and the contents and how we can meditate mindfully on what's arising rather than being so addicted to the contents. So I hope that makes sense. And I hope to see you guys uh, and gals, everybody next month, um, first Thursday. Thank you for joining me and may any merit that comes from our practice be shared outward in all directions. May each one of us find freedom and recovery and together may we help others who are seeking recovery. And let's create a positive change on this whole fucking planet. Thank you, and I uh, hope to see you again soon. Thank you, Noah. Welcome. Refuge Recovery is freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation to support us, you may do so by following the link in the episode notes. We appreciate your generosity.